4, if you will, Ephesians chapter number 4, and uh, we have uh, been, uh, last week was Mother's Day, so we did a Mother's Day thing, and next week will be the uh, anniversary thing, so we're going to slide one Grace Reset number 13 here in you, uh, and uh, we're really we're going to talk about the issue of forgiveness, and uh, again, as we've been looking at God's grace and just kind of resetting our thinking in, in, a very, uh, in a very topical manner, rather than down deep in it, we're going to, uh, the, the plan is to kind of do, do this one, forgiveness today, then next week we'll have the anniversary thing, there's some things I want to save there, and then um, we'll do, uh, then we'll have June, we'll be here, and we'll take June to kind of wrap some of this all up on the Grace Reset, and then hopefully in July, Summertime, I know we got kind of all go out and, you know, do things and get away. And in July, do some uh, kind of off, little different topics than we've done in the past. And then uh, hopefully by uh, some end of summer, we'll be ready to kind of dive back in to uh, some uh, more uh, in-depth grace life studying, okay? So just kind of to give you the idea there. But as we come and think about this issue here of forgiveness... And uh, Ephesians chapter number 4, uh, verse 31 and 32 is going to be our text verse that we're going to come off of. Uh, it has been said, you, you guys know that great author called by the name of Anonymous? He says some wonderful things from time to time. He said, the best way to get even is to forgive. And I think about that. We're going to talk about forgiveness and really, we're going to, again, I've been doing this. We've been talking about it. We talked about God's grace, and, and it's a fit, it fully equipped you, allows you to stand on your own two feet and so forth. And another, it was also said, the noblest revenge is to forgive. And it's this issue of forgiveness. But as we look at it, and again, just real kind of, I don't want to say superficially, because none of this is superficial, but just in a very treetop manner, the issue of forgiveness is something that you need to understand really down deep into the bowels of your, of your inner man. Because when you talk about forgiveness and to understand that you are forgiven, but then to also understand then that you can forgive. But really when you get into all of that, you need to understand to forgive yourself first. Because usually what happens is, is we get all ramped up and then we do something and we make ourselves feel guilty. And it's like, no, you need to, now I'm not saying what you did was right or wrong, but there's a self-check that really comes from an understanding of forgiveness in, in, a, in a broad sense. Ephesians 4 verse 31 the Apostle Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Growing up as, a, as, a, as, a, as the oldest of three boys, uh, as we got older, one of our discipline uh, uh, moments when we were out of line was to write verse 32 a hundred times. Punctuation correct, by the way. Capitalization correct, by the way. <laughs> you know, So you get it down one and then you just boom. Why? Because it's a tremendous verse. It's a verse that comes in and it really defines for us the issue of forgiveness. Notice the verse 32 as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Paul is building on, on these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ in the heavenly places, and he's been building, and now in, he, in the doctrinal content of chapters 1, 2, and 3, and now in chapter 4, 5, and 6, he's going to talk about our duty. He's laid out for us the doctrine. He's laid out for us the, the wealth and our calling and the blessings in the first three chapters. Now in ver chapter 4, 5, and 6, he's going to say, here's your duty. Here's your conduct. Here's your behavior. By the way, the end of 6, there he says, here's our warfare. Here's our conflict. Here's our battle. Here's our destiny, the heavenly places. 
And as we get in and we begin to look at this, Paul is, you, you want to do verse 31? Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness. It's fascinating in, in marriage. I'm going to get off topic. Look at Colossians 3. You've got to think about this because it's intertwined here. It's, it's an interesting thing when you, when you talk to people who are, who are having issues and struggling with marriage and everything. And, you know, you deal with them and you help them and so forth. But look at Colossians 3, verse 11, uh, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and be not what? Notice bitter against them. Isn't that interesting? He says, don't. Then in Ephesians 4, 31, what does he say? Let all bitterness, first thing in the list, bitterness, resentfulness. Let all be all bitterness and wrath and anger. Where does the wrath and anger come from? Bitterness. Where does the calamity and the evil speaking come from? Bitterness. But he says, be put away from you. But how do I put it away? I see what the verse says. I'm back in Ephesians 4 now. I see what the verse says, but how do I do it? Verse 32 says, this is how you do it. Be ye what? Kind tenderhearted, forgiving one another. So in the husband-wife relationship, what, is there to, what needs to be in, in on the table of discussion? The issue of forgiveness. Because that's what deals with the bitterness, which then drives the wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. It dri- so if I have an understanding of forgiveness over here, then guess what I can do? I can guard a little bit with the other. Because I know, ladies, your husbands sometimes aren't always lovable. I get that. But no, nor are you. So you got that. But forgiveness comes into play. Now, just let me say up front here, notice 432, even as God for Christ's sake hath what? Forgiven you. The issue of forgiveness, in script, the scriptural issue of forgiveness only works amongst believers this way. You can forgive everybody everybody out there in the unsaved world, fine, no big deal. But notice how Paul prefaces this issue of forgiveness for you and I. Even as Christ, even as God for Christ's sake hath what? Forgiven you. He's going to talk to believers interacting with other believers. Husband, wife, friend, co-worker, whatever it is, the relationship. But notice something. We have been what? Forgiven. For Christ's sake, also hath forgiven you. That's a done deal. But I want to think about that. Because if I know what it is to be forgiven, then what is it for me to forgive you? Nothing. It should be easy. Because I know what it is to be forgiven. Now come back to Romans 4. Because even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you, how did, how did that happen? Well, look back here at Romans 4. Romans 4. And just jumping in the end of the section here on justification and so forth. But I want you to notice something. Start reading in verse 6, verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So your faith is not a work. It's not an activity. It's a trust. It's a belief that what Christ did for you, what did he do for you? He died for you. He took, t- took care and paid the, the sin debt. Paul now is driving home the issue in all of this is faith. Romans chapter 3, verse number 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. So the Father has faith in the, in the sacrificial work and activity of the Son. All right, verse 28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. All through your Bible, from Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation, faith is the issue with God. That is the only response he will accept is faith. Now, obviously, there's different messages through the Scriptures, but it's faith in it. When God told Noah to build the ark... Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He, was, he, he had faith, by faith, Noah, Hebrews 11. What did Noah believe? Judgment's coming, build the boat. Okay, Lord, let's go. You know, it's not like that movie, uh, the Noah movies and all that stuff, you know. No, it's not that. He didn't fight. He didn't argue. What did he do? By faith, he went and did. So faith is the issue. Verse 6, uh, Romans 4, 6. Even as David, now watch Paul reach back into the Old Testament 
Psalms and so 32, Psalms 103. And he's going to use David here. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness, how? Without works. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now, was <laughs> the heroes of your Bible, he did not leave out all their problems. We got problems, warts and all. And David messed up. David had an affair with Bathsheba, so that's adultery. And then he went and committed murder and had her husband killed. So what should have happened to David under the law? Dead. Done. Even the king, the king's not above the law. Here's the law, boom. But what did David do? Now look at verse 6 very carefully. What did David comes and says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. He comes with that contrite heart of faith. He comes with that contrite. He knows that if they kill him, God's right in doing it. And just, but yet he comes in that faith, in faith of, who, of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Faith. And what did God do? He forgave him. Now, David doesn't understand the how. By the way, Romans 3, verse 25, there's the how. Go back, go back there real quick. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. That's David. That's not you. Your past sins were future of Calvary. This is David. How in the world can he foresick Romans 4, verse 6, David? Because what did God the Father know? Who did God the Father know was coming? Calvary, the Savior, the Redeemer. He knew he was coming. So God the Father looks forward to Calvary. David didn't, by the way. The Old Testament prophets, they do not look forward. First Peter, Peter's clear on that. They had no clue what they were taught, writing about. So when you come back to 4.6, how was David forgiven? Blessedness. Saying, verse 7, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Ble hap not just happy, yay, but deep down in his soul, what was he? He was excited because guess what? <laughs> he wasn't going to get killed, stoned. That walk of faith, what did God do? Knowing Calvary was coming, comes over and imputes that accounting term. Applies it to David, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. God didn't hold it against David, by the way, to later bring it up when David messes up again. Because <laughs> he messes up again. God doesn't come in and say, Hey, you remember that time? He says what? Verse 8, will not impute sin. He's forgiven. God doesn't hold the sin against David. And Paul's point is, guess what? He's not going to hold the sin against you. Why? Because it's been dealt with. Now, come back with me to Psalms 103. And just notice, we're going to just run some Old Testament verses here quickly. Just so you get a flavor here about this forgiveness here with David. Okay, in, in the Old Testament. Psalms 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, well, how far is that? That's, it's unending, isn't it? Because if you go far enough east, eventually you're headed west. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Now the hour there is not you. That's this is a psalm of David. So what did David know when he says, Blessed is the man in whom the Lord will not impute sin? He knew that as far from the east as the west, guess what? He's removed it. Fascinating. Uh, come on over to Isaiah. Isaiah 38. Isaiah 38. It's just fascinating, these little verses. Isaiah 38, verse 17. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, 
but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, and thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. By the way, this is Hezekiah's day. Isaiah 38, verse 17. You're in Isaiah. Just look over at chapter 43 and verse 25. 43, 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgression for my own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Again, God talking to Israel and what's going to happen with them. Come on over to Micah. Micah is after Jonah, okay? Micah chapter 7. Micah 7. It's very fascinating what's happening here. God's attitude and for David and for Israel is what? I'll remember him no more. Now, what is God looking at? He's looking at Calvary, but he's also looking at Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel uh, 36 in that issue of the new covenant coming where he's going to do some things. Micah 7 verse 18. Micah 7 18. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? For he he retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Man, that's Jeremiah 31. That's Ezekiel 36 in the New Covenant all day long. But if you've ever lost anything into the deep blue sea, guess what? It is never coming back. You guys have seen the stuff up in the Vegas area where Lake Mead's emptying out, and they're finding barrels with people in it, and they finding military vehicles. How did they find that? Well, they had to do what? Drain the sea, you know? Otherwise, they never knew it was there. What is he doing here? Think about what he, 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 he's having here. His attitude towards Israel. By the way, the believing remnant there, the remnant of his heritage, that's the believing remnant. That's the true Israel of God. What's he going to do? He's going to come in, and because of Calvary, uh, you know what I've been saying? It Just look over there. In Ezekiel 36, I was quoting it, and might as well look at it here. Ezekiel 36, verse 24, he says, For I will take you from among the heathen, talking to Israel, the little flock, and gather you out of all countries, and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you. So how was their water baptism done? Sprinkling, okay. And ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes. You shall keep my judgments and do them, and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And off he goes, and it's going to be such a radical change. Verse 37 Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. And the them reaches you back to verse 36. Then the heathen that are left round about. And you know what's going to happen? Israel's going to show up, that little flock, that believing remnant. They're going to have the new covenant instilled in them. They're going to be forgiven their sins, which they already know they have by faith in the Word of God. They see what he's going to do. He's going to drop them behind his back. He's going to drop them in the deep blue sea. He's never going to bring them up. And how does he do it? He's, we just read the verses. And then they're going to turn and say, okay, what you just did to us, go do to these Gentile believers for it. And he's going to do the same thing. So when you come back to Ephesians 4, when he says, for, as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, the issue of God's attitude to forgiveness is, is if I say it, it's what? It's done. And I will not remember it. I will not bring it back up. I will not impute it to you. Because of Calvary, because of the cross work of Christ, the sin debt, come back over with me to Romans 5. The, the sin debt 
has been paid. It's been satisfied. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. On your way, 623, for the wages of sin is death. What did you deserve? You deserved death. That's what you deserved. The the holiness of God is made up of really two attributes mainly, and that is the issue of the justice of God, the integrity of God, the justice of God and the righteousness of God. And what the justice of God does is he looks across human history, the humanity and says, in order for you to be right with me, with God, you have to have perfect righteousness, and you don't. Yeah, but I'm going to try. You don't. Yeah, but I'm going to do. You don't. Oh, the Lord says we'll do it. Yeah, thanks for playing. You don't. Why? You don't have. Why? You got sin. But Calvary, he was made to be sin, that we would be made righteous, made that unnatural event that takes place. And the justice of God enforces his righteousness. And says, if you want to have eternal life, you've got to be perfect righteous. Romans 5, verse 8, but God committed his love toward us, and that why we were yet sinners. That's your condition. What did he? Christ, what? Died for you. His death, chapter 4, there, the end of that verse, in verse 25, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. His death, that, that issue of a, the the, the trespass and the sin offering and the meat, all of those offerings that Israel had to make, it's, it's solidified and, and put on display in Calvary. And his death satisfied. For all have sinned and come short of the glory. It satisfied the justice. The justice of God sat there and said, You're guilty. All the world is guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. You're a loser. You're a loser. You're a dog. You're a do- you're you're an enemy. You're you're with you're ungodly. But Christ died for you. He's the savior of all men, especially them that believe. The the faith of the righteousness of God is made available unto all and upon all them that believe. He says, I'm the God, the Father. He says, I'm going to judge man, and judgment he laid out, and he says, but I'm going to put that judgment on my son. And when he, because of what he has accomplished, and because of what he has done, if humanity trusts that, then guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to take care of the offensive sin. I'm going to take care of the debt of sin for that individual. By the way, forgiveness doesn't mean you overlook the sin. God sure didn't. He did what? He dealt with it. He dealt with it in his son. Come, you're in Romans, right? Look, look back at chapter 3. God said, verse 25, God said forth, to be a whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His. Re- you know what God the Father said, Son. This is what you're going to do. Lays out the purpose and the plan. And the Son says, "I'll do that. That's no problem. I can do that for you. I'll do your will, not my will, but Thy will be done." By the way, that's a cry of His humanity. And He comes in and He says, "Hey." The Father says, okay, you do that, and then I'm going to resurrect you on the third day. And we're going to do this. And we're going to provide the propitiation, that fully satisfying payment for who? Verse 22, unto all and upon all them that believe. Come back over with Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Look at the attitude of the Godhead, specifically the Father here, towards you who are in Christ, having predestinated us under the adoption of the children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. See the good pleasure of His will? He purposed this in himself. 
to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. How are you accepted in the Beloved? The next verse tells you in whom you have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. And there's Romans 4 with David. What did David experience? The riches of God's grace. David didn't understand it. Nathan didn't understand it as he delivered the news to David. <laughs> but who delivered the news? Who told Nathan to tell David everything's forgiven? The, the Lord did. Jehovah did. Why? Because what does he know is coming? He knows Calvary's coming. So when you come back here to Ephesians 4, By, by, by the way, verse, uh, go back to Ephesians 1. Just, I'm sorry, real quick. Verse 7, notice the in whom. Where does your forgiveness lie? Not in your activity, not in your effort, not in where? In His activity, in Christ, in His work, in His activity. Verse 7, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to, there's the blueprint, there's the code. According to what? The riches of His grace. You know what His grace says? You know what the, the, the blueprint given to the Apostle Paul, given then to all of humanity, all men are to be He would have all men be saved and, and that blueprint. He doesn't just hang it out there and say, ah, if you want to, great. I think this is a good idea. He says, no, here's the blueprint. What's the blueprint, verse 13, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom? See the in whom? Man, those two-letter words, in whom, in whom, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest. There's the activity. Notice, you got all of this going on. Come over to chapter 2 of Ephesians. Verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is a gift. It's a free gift of grace, the free gift principle. He comes in and he says, you know what? Come over to Colossians 1, just so you don't think I forget this verse. Paul comes in and he says, Ephesians 4, 32, be ye tenderhearted and... Forgive one another. On what basis do I forgive you? On the basis that God forgave me. Ooh, a little high standard there. Colossians 1, verse 14, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And again in chapter 2, verse 13, Having forgiven you all trespasses. That's it. So forgiveness, it starts with a free gift measured by God's grace. Forgiveness starts out with Calvary, that free gift. Here's His manifestation of His grace on display. It's a present possession. You possess it now. David, he didn't understand that. We do now. It's presently here. And that indicates that forgiveness is not passed out over steps of time of you doing and accomplishing and the benchmarks met. And if you do this, then I'll forgive you. None of that is there. Come on, come over there to Colossians 2. You see, folks, in order to understand forgiveness, you've got to go back to where? Calvary. I look around this room. I look at me. If you offended me, or, okay, what should I do? See, that's usually, what do I do with this? Well, first of all, I need to recognize that I'm as guilty as you are guilty. Because what am I? I'm a low-down, dirt, and rotten scoundrel. That's who I am. That's what I am. Well, but you're saved. You're in the most high. I understand that, but what if there's an offense happening, we're operating in our flesh here. But I have to first do what? I've got to recognize I've been forgiven. Now, now what can I do? I can go and forgive. I can choose to give up my rights to hold you accountable for the wrong that you've done to me. But you know what? I've got to do that with me first. 
That's really what I want you to catch this morning. Because in the sanity of your closet, or of, the, of, of, of your mind, when you're thinking through things and you say, you know what, I messed up there and I got that. You know, the Father knows it. The Son knows it. The Holy Spirit, He's there. <laughs> he wasn't there. He didn't, he didn't say, okay, I'm going to look the other way. Quick, do it. <laughs> he went right through it with you. And as you're talking to the Father, prayer, you're like, man, I really messed up. You've got to remember to look at yourself in the way He looks at you. And how does He look at you? Forgive it. Did you mess up? Yeah. Can we fix it? Yeah, more than likely. And we got steps to work on that. But man, first, I got to remind myself of who I am. I got to forgive myself first. Usually, forgiving yourself is the last thing, if ever, on the docket. It really needs to be the first thing. Because if I'm going to come over here and work out the issue with you, I have to come working it out in who I am in Christ, not my flesh. Because you know what my flesh wants to do? Punch you through the wall. I, that is not forgiveness. That's vengeance. And that belongs to him. What do I have? To, i got to come over here, adjust my thinking, and then work through it. You, you with me? Okay? Colossians 2, watch it, verse 9. For in him, that's Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now stop there. What is God who, who calls all that isn't as is? Romans 4, 17, the end of that verse. How does God view you? When he looks at you, how does he look at you? Complete where? In him. The head of all. And you know what he did? I come in, verse the operation of God, the very next verse there. I'm going to come in and I'm going to cut you free from the bondage of that depraved old nature. And when I set you free, that's how I look at you. That's how I view you. I view you as who you are in Christ. So what should I do? I ought to have the same thoughts. I ought to have the same viewpoint. Now, again, you can't say, I'll never sin again, because you just lied. So you're a sinner, okay? It isn't that. It isn't saying, I'll never sin again. It's when I do, how do I adjust my thinking to it and work through it? See. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism wherein ye also are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead, and being and you, being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh. What is your condition? You're dead. That means you don't have any interaction. You know what it is to, to have dead loved ones? You can't go up there and say, hey, Bill, how you doing? Good to see you, man. And he goes, oh, good, good, good. You know, I guess if you had... Foxworthy or one of those guys around doing that ventriloquist, it would really that would be an interesting funeral, wouldn't it? Hey, how you doing? I'm all right, you know. No, it isn't that. What? There's there's nothing, there's no one there. Death means, guess what? It's, it's not there. I'm dead. Having uh and you being uh, verse have hath he quickened together with him. Man, that's that's Romans 6. You're dead. And you have that newness of life. He killed you off so that he could give you his life. But that's what Calvary does. The, sin, the wages of sin is death. Somebody had to die. He says, I'm going to die your death, and you trust me, and I apply that. I impute it to you. Blotting out, verse 14. I'm sorry, the end of verse 13. With him having forgiven you, how many trespasses? So there goes 1 John 1, 9. I'm going to kick that thing to the curb. Leave it in 1 John, where it belongs. Okay? You're forgiven how many? All means all, last time I looked. Actually, all in the dictionary has got like 20-something different definitions. But anyway, all is all. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. See that? Against us, which was contrary to us. Took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Where did he nail it? Where do you have to nail it? To the cross. So if you mess up, and if, or if you're offended and someone does something against you, where's the first place you should take it? To the cross. 
That's where it all starts. Your Christian life started in the graveyard. It's in the cross. Oh, I, I know that's a oh, mega guys. Oh, you're you know you're walking in life. No, your Christian life started in the in the cemetery, where the ladies come and the angels say, "Why are you live, looking for the living amongst the dead? He's not here." There's where your life started. There's where you you come in and you say, "Hey." So if I got an issue, and forgiveness is what we're talking about, where do I go? I go nail it to the cross. Why? Because he did it everything right there. He forgave me. I'm forgiven. I've nailed it there. Verse 15, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. You want to stick the devil and the needle in his eye? Practice forgiveness. Why? Because you're practicing then who you are in Christ. He tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians there, verse 6, he says, You were this, but now you're this. You're washed. You're, ju- you're sanctified. You're justified. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 there, he says, Jesus Christ, God the Father made Jesus Christ unto us, and he lays it out for us. You see, you are forgiven. God's view of you is a forgiven one. You need to view yourself that way. And I know in today's and age, I, you know, I feel sorry for the guy called mental illness. He's blamed for everything now. Now, I'm not saying some have it and don't have it, none of that. The guy to be blaming is a guy called sin. That's the guy. They don't do that. Why? They don't know any better. You can't do that. You see, we're, not, we're talking about your reaction and how you view yourself. You need to... I, I know. Look at 1 Corinthians 1. Sorry, I wasn't going to go there. I gave it to you so you can go there. But my heart, my heart beat, my heart breaks when I hear believers, grace believers, just say, I can't, you know, I'm not forgiven. And they beat themselves up. And I'm like, God doesn't look at you that way. Why don't you look at yourself the way God views you? First Corinthians 6 there, I know I told you, he says, verse 11, And such were some of you in the list in verse 9 and 10. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. There's your identity. What are you doing beating yourself into something that you're not? Doesn't make sense to me. First Corinthians 1. Verse 30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. Look at that wisdom and righteousness. There it is, and sanctification and redemption. And what's a part of redemption? Forgiveness. You've been forgiven. Now, come over to Colossians 3, because here's the other hammer. Colossians 3. So what do I know? God, for Christ's sake, hath what? Forgiven me. Where's that? Calvary. The moment in the privacy of my heart. The issue of faith is a private issue. Faith has never been something you, you put on display. Even in Israel's program, it was a heart issue. It's a private issue. And when I, by faith, trust in the shed blood of the Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in by the direction of the Father, and the, He circumcises me, He regenerates me, He indwells me, He baptizes me, He seals me, and God the Father says, I, I, the Father, forgive you. That's your identity. That's who you are. So then when Colossians 3.13 shows up, because here's the other hammer, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any. Oh, Ricky would have been good without reading that verse. You know what that verse means? You're going to have bickering. You're going to have a quarrel. Well, we understand that. We have a room full of different peoples. And what happens? My idea, your idea. What is that verse in Proverbs? By pride cometh contention. <laughs> and we get a robin. And, okay, now what do we do? Well, even as Christ forgave you. Now, everybody ends that verse right there, by the way. But that verse isn't ended, is it? 
so also do ye. That's a verse that you can not not do. You follow that? Okay. I know people, that verse, it, it rubs the cat's fur the wrong way. So also do you. Wait a minute. We need to do something here. We need to interact with each other in the same way that he interacts with you and I. How does he interact with you? You're forgiven. You're righteous. You're mine. I took care of what set us at odds. We were enemies. We were reconciled. What did he do? The death, the burial and resurrection did that. So then when you and I come together, we, we need to do, we need to move, we, we, we need to take our understanding of we're, we're forgiven and put it into life application. Bring it from over here and put it into the details of life. And this is where you begin to apply what you know. What do you know? Even for God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven me. I'm forgiven, so I can be a forgiving person then too. Got to think this thing through a little bit. The reality of who you are in Christ, folks, that identity. And we're looking at forgiveness here. Notice verse 13 carefully. The end of the verse. Even as Christ, that great study help, so also do ye. How did Christ forgive you? Oh, Lord, why am I forgiving these rebellious, ungrateful, no good, degenerate, scum of the earth people? Or did he say, not my will, but thy will be done? Father, if there's a way for that cup to pass, but I know there isn't. So not my will, but thy will be done. He didn't look at you and say, they don't deserve it. They don't get it. He says, they deserve it. They need it. So when you think about forgiveness, we think about what we understand. We understand all that he's done, how he did it. Then we can take that understanding and we can come over here and apply it to the situations of life. It starts, by the way, with husbands and wives. That's why it's mentioned where it is and how it's talked about, especially here in Colossians 3. Because that's where you're going to interact with the closest member, humanly speaking, of the church, the body of Christ, your spouse. And as you deal in that spousal relationship, that marriage relationship, you know what begins to happen? World War VIII. That means we've had seven before. We operate at level five instead of level one or zero. And what happened? No, time out. So as Christ, even as Christ forgave me, I need to do that here too. And what that helps us understand is what true forgiveness really is all about. Because true forgiveness is a choice of, you, of your faith. <laughs> it's a decision of you, of your will. It's an act of your will. Done by faith in the word of God to you. How in the world can I forgive you? You've hurt me. You hurt me deeply. But what did you do to Christ? <laughs> he died your second death. That's what you did to him. It only took one sin to kick Adam out of the garden. You got a, long, a laundry list. And he died for it. True forgiveness is a choice based on an act of your will. Again, done by faith before God. You're not doing this in front of anybody but Him. Where you choose to give up your right to hold another person accountable for the wrong that they have done. What did He do? He had every right. He says, don't you know if I pray to the Father, He'll send the legions and rescue me. But the next verse says, but. And I'll paraphrase, if I don't go die, who, who's going to be able to do this? What did he do? He gave up that right. He says, I'm going to come and do this by faith. By the way, anything short of this is not forgiveness. It's just jabber talk. Oh, I'm forgiven them. I got the hatchet buried halfway. And oh, by the way, 
the, the hatchet head's only a quarter in. That's not forgiveness, folks. That's revenge. If we take what God has done for us, what has He done? He's forgiven us completely, totally, across the board. He's laid it all at Calvary. And He's forgiven us. Then we need to take that identity and live in it. Walk in it. When we are offended or are the offender, Follow me? Because you offend people and you know you did it. You do it on purpose. Yeah, old dang is right. Because you're trying to get something. You're trying to one-up something. So you just lay it out there. Forgiveness, folks, forgiveness is not overlooking the wrong that was done. Christ didn't overlook your sin. Forgiveness is not excusing the wrong watering it down not at all he didn't water your sin down also forgiveness is not psychoanalyzing the person's motive in order to figure out why they did the wrong why did why did they do it? why did it, I did it no 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 forgiveness comes along and says you know what we're going to hold everybody all of it accountable we're going to deal with it successfully forgiveness comes along and says Let's deal. We're not going to excuse the wrong. We're not going to water it down. We're going to deal with the specific wrong. No generalizations. No broad strokes. We have to be, you have to be objective and, and boom, here it is. And we're going to deal with it. Forgiveness also faces that deep down it does hurt to be wrong. There's nothing wrong with having the hurt down deep. Remember what Paul says, be angry and sin. It's okay to be angry. It's not what I'm going to do with it. Come over to, come back there to Colossians 3 if you're not there. You see, folks, grace sets us free to find your failure and to put it away. Christ did it. He did it for you. So can you. Again, I look around the room, and I know some of you, pretty intimately and you're messed up me too but you know what grace allows me to do take that mess up and put it right on the tree and say we'll leave it right there now I can come and interact with you how? joyfully remember Paul to the Corinthians 2 Corinthians he says, if, if I come, he goes, I didn't come because if I got there, I'm going to have to bend you over my knee and spank you like a dad with his disobedient children. So I wrote a letter instead. Why? Because when I get there, I want to be refreshed by you. I want to have joy with you. I want to have a wonderful time of fellowship, but I can't do it because you're wrong. You're bad. You know. That's it. How can he do that? Take it, put it on the tree. Grace knows why the wrong happened, the offense happened. You know what it's called? Sin. Isn't that amazing? Grace always understands the why. It has the answer. And the answer is Calvary. You can be a forgiving person. Why? Because you know what it is to be forgiven. Colossians 3 Verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. He ends the section in verse 17, and we'll end here. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Everything. You see, folks, you and I, we need to be the first to forgive. And now, again, we're not talking about the gas attendant and the unsaved people. We're talking about here. Ephesians and Colossians are written in a local church setting. If you deal with other believers outside of the church and everything, that's fine. That will apply. Local church, body, church, uh, church, body of Christ, corporate. But you and I, we need to be the first to forgive. It isn't about looking good or the one-upmanship 
or he was right, or he was wrong, and I'm right. That isn't the issue at all. The reason you do it is because God's Word says to do it. And you're just as wrong if you don't do it. Why? Because you're violating a verse. So be the first to forgive. Why? How liberating is it to know that your sins are forgiven? (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? I don't have to do anything. I don't have to shake Rick's hand. I don't have to hug his neck. I don't have to do any. I don't have to do, I'm forgiven. Why? How liberating. So how liberating is it for you when someone offends you? Hey, you just go in and apply the forgiveness. Don't overlook it. Deal with it. Get specific. Identi- By the way, also, if somebody comes to you and says, you've offended me, <laughs> you need to pay attention because maybe you did something you didn't think you did. <laughs> and you've and you, you got to pay attention. But then have that response. When you forgive, you're doing the will of God for, your, for you in your life. And you're putting on display the richness of God's grace living in you. So the issue of forgiveness isn't something, well, i got to get even. It's just saying, you know who I am. I understand I have been forgiven, so now I can do what? When the moment is there, amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ, what can I do? I can forgive. We can work it out. You get doing the work of the ministry, more times than not, the rub starts. Because I think it ought to be done this way, and you think it ought to be done that way, and well, Rick's going to get his way, and I'm going to, you know, the next thing you know, we split the building up because of carpet color. You, you laugh, that's what happens. Carpets and drapes, the biggest Bible church splitter there is. Carpets and drapes. And you know what happens? The issue of forget the last donut. <laughs> Boy, way to kill the mood there, brother, <laughs> right at the end. Okay, the issue of forgiveness. Just adjust your thinking about it. Consider it. Look down through it. We just tree-topped it. Stay out of 1 John 1, 9. That isn't you. Stay over here where Christ has forgiven you. So also do ye. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray that we'll take this issue to heart. Probably the one of the hardest things to do in our lives. And that's practicing forgiveness with each other. And Lord, I just pray that we would do that and go away with a joy, a joy and a step and a bounce in our step because we know what it is to be forgiven. We know what it is to be accepted. And we can rejoice in that and have our lives live there and live to your honor and your glory. In your name we pray.